Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 37. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. John 10, verse 11 through 13. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired man and cares nothing for the sheep. You may be seated. That was my fault. Let's try that again. Good morning. Several months ago, Monday night, decompressing after a long day at work, uh, just wrestled the kids in bed. And so, uh, like a typical guy, I turn on Monday night football. It was going to be a really good game between two heavyweight teams, the Cincinnati Bengals and the Buffalo Bills. Some of you guys know what happened in this game. Uh, In the early stages of a game, a player collapsed on the field. And CPR was administered. The the player, his name was Damar Hamlin, had gone into cardiac arrest. He is uh, surrounded by medical staff, teams. Uh, The scene was uh, crazy. It was it was uh, like, um, I, I was like, did I just watch someone die on television? I was just like sitting in my living room with my mouth open like, this is crazy. Sports announcers whose job is to talk and gab and f- just fill space with noise were silenced. They said, I have no, there's no words right now. And they go to like a quick cut to the studio and you go to the sports studios and they would be, Ah, uh, there's no words right now. In the sports world, you know, where it's always about energy and buzz, was brought to a halting, screeching stop. They had no idea what to do in that moment because, like, we never experienced this before. And so, actually, a couple announcers uh, started praying on air over Demar and his family. And it was a really interesting scene to see the community kind of come together come together and rally over something that was so devastating. Damar would survive, not just that night, but he would uh, go on to survive the next couple of days. And when he woke up, the first question, like a typical guy, he asked was, did we win the game? And of course, the doctors were like, "Uh, Damar, you won the game, the game of life. You're alive. Um, But it was quite a scene. But what's interesting about that moment is not just what happened for Damar and his family, 
But what happened to really the community of people, the, the millions of people who are watching that game? Early, later that week, uh, a sports personality, his name is Nick Wright. He's the one who's paid to talk and all these shows and fill space with noise and all that kind of stuff. Um, and he's in one of these shows, and he said that he was, in that moment, as everything went down, he became jealous. He became jealous of his wife, and he became jealous of other co-hosts or sports personalities because in that moment, they can make sense of what was going on because they had something deeper to call upon, and he did not. He had, when there's no villain, there's no policy, there's no specific bad guy to kind of point the fingers out and blame, and devastation happens, he had no idea what to do with that. And they did. Several weeks ago, there was a shooting at the uh, University of Michigan State. Young people lost their life. It was sad. It was devastating. And in response to that shooting, a uh, House representative of Michigan uh, wrote a response. And his opening line was, F your thoughts and prayers. Later in his statement, he said, thoughts and prayers without action, without change, are meaningless. Now, you can read that or hear that or receive that from the perspective of a politician trying to push uh, their agenda onto you or to push it forward. But if you take away his job title, you begin to see that that's just a human being trying to make sense of dark, heavy things. So that way, we can control it. We can rage against it. We can prevent it from ever happening to us. And he's trying to figure out why this evil thing, this dark thing, this trial took place. Now maybe that is where you are this morning. You are trying to make sense of some dark things you are walking through. And it could be so many things. It could be a sickness. Several weeks ago we heard one of our sisters in Christ who's in stage four cancer, and she's walking through that. Why am I going through this? It could be struggles in your marriage. It could be, I know I love this person, but I really don't like this person right now. It could be uh, the loss of somebody precious to you. It could be a betrayal of a friend. It could be so many things. I don't know what valley or dark time you are walking in this morning. But Psalm 23 allows us to begin to understand the question. And the question that a lot of people ask all the time, we all ask this, why do bad things happen? Why would a loving God allow such pain in my life? Why do we have to walk through dark valleys? And we want to chase after it. We want to chase after it. Why, 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 why? We want to rage against it. But Psalm 23 begins to reveal a little bit behind the dark valleys of what we walk through. And we are in a series right now called The Lord is My Shepherd, where we are walking slowly together through Psalm 23. Now, Psalm 23 was written by uh, the shepherd king, David. David was a shepherd for many years of his life before he became a king. And he understood this dynamic, this relationship 
relationship between a shepherd to his sheep, a shepherd to his flock, and uh, just the nuances of that, because he was one for so many years, and it influenced his leadership, uh, and he understood how to take care of a flock, and he would go on to be a king of a nation and take good care of a nation. But David also understood that he is a sheep just to his shepherd, the Lord God, and he understood this relationship. And so Psalm 23 is written from the perspective of a sheep bragging about its shepherd. It's almost like it's smack-talking other sheep. Like, this is how amazing my shepherd is. Look at what he does for me. How cool, how amazing, how great is my shepherd. And I can show you these amazing things about my shepherd. And when you begin to read it from that perspective, verse 4 becomes really odd. Not only is it odd because pop culture knows about it and gangsters rap about it, but verse 4 is interesting because it's about a sheep bragging about being led through the darkest valley. Or in other translations, the valley of the shadow of death. Why would a sheep brag about being led through such a place? It's kind of, when you, it causes us to pause and to kind of think about that. The valley, dark valleys or valley of the shadow of death uh, were actual places in the Middle East. Uh, they'd be cut in uh, on the sides of hills, usually through uh, rapid flood waters, um, things like that, this natural, um, you know, nature taking its course. And they would be often very narrow. And sometimes they would get so narrow that you could only pass by single file, and there was not even a place to turn around. And so this would be places of great vulnerability if you were leading uh, your flock through there because you'd be kind of in a tight spot. And so bandits would uh, patrol these, they would attack, you'd be, uh, danger would be high, predators would come after you in these places. Uh, because you, there wasn't a whole lot of spots to go. It was really, you're stuck, you're limited. And so um, these were places that were feared. These were places that were ruled and corrupted often. Sometimes you might need to pay, you know, Uncle Tony over there to get through. That kind of places, they were not um, good places to be. They were often considered uh, you know, super intimidating, fear ruled the day. But these places were unavoidable. On your way to what would be considered the highlands, to green pastures, you would have to walk your sheep through there. Now, you can't keep your sheep in one place for too long. Pastor Joel talked about this last week, that sheep uh, will eat anything and everything, roots and all. They will destroy the land if they stay in one spot for too long. And so we have to keep moving your flock. If you want to keep them healthy and you want to keep your land healthy, you have to keep moving. And on the way to green pastures, on the way to highlands, uh, these would be hills up near mountains. Uh, Shepherds would take their flocks there, especially in summer um, when the weather was a lot more mild. Uh, They would take their flocks there, several, several months at a time these trips would be, um, so that way their, their land in the valley could um, grow and restore, and their sheep could still eat healthy, healthy meals. And so they would have to walk through these va- dark valleys. They were unavoidable. And for us, as Christians, dark valleys are unavoidable. 
This is what Jesus taught. He said in John 16.33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you may have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus told us that there would be valleys. They're coming. They're unavoidable. In Isaiah 43, verse 2, when you pass through waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. So God said, when you pass through rivers and when you pass through fire, not if you will pass through it, it's when you will pass through it. And it's not when you will go around it or skip right by it, it's when you go through it because you will be going through it. So for us, difficulties, trials, hard times, heavy things, things that are unavoidable in life. They're just not. Yet we live in a culture in a day and age, our secular culture, which we live in, the narrative is that anything that's bad, um, anything that is about hard, anything that isn't pushing happiness and fluffy rainbows and clouds is considered bad, so much so they almost consider it sin. They're like, you got to avoid this like it's sin, and we have to get back to a uh, a restorative place. Uh, their garden, which they're trying to get back to, is this innocent childhood, almost like place of this innocent bliss and joy. And whatever you're walking through, that's what we're meant to walk, you know, be. That's what we're supposed to be. That's our true calling. And so anything that comes against that is considered evil and is considered sin. And we need to do whatever it takes to go back to that place. And so billions of dollars, whole economical structures are built around trying to get to a place of just simple happiness to enjoy and avoid anything that's about hard times and trials because life's about happiness and it's about luxury. And they just chase and chase no matter how much it costs them, how much time, how much money, how much of their soul, they pursue those things. And I'm all for ergonomics, improving the world, and I, I like to have a good time myself, and I enjoy nice things. But hard times, trials, heavy things, dark valleys are inevitable, inevitable, and we are to walk through those. We are to avoid those. We're not to avoid those. We are to lean into those. And... Um, Dark valleys. And this is where we ask the question why all the time. Well, why does this have to exist? Why are there bad things in the world? And we lean into that, that question so much. I hear that all the time. And Jesus taught that Satan is currently on earth raging war against God and everything good in his creation. So if I just pause on that and I go, huh. So if I'm asking the question... Why do I feel like I'm in a war zone all the time? That'd be a good starting spot. Scripture also teaches that there is sin in every heart, every human heart, there is sin. There is a uh, deficit. We all have fallen short of glory. We all have sin. So humanity itself is ripping itself apart, wrecking itself from within with the sin that is going on in our life. So you ask the question, man, why am I going through, why am I have to carry this thing? Why do I have to walk through this dark valley? Why do I have to walk through this trial? Why, and you can, the list can go, the list can go on. 
But for you to understand how you got to that point, if you don't understand why this valley exists, you would have to understand from the very beginning of time what's taken place. And since the presence of evil and the presence of sin has entered the world and the ramifications of what that brought from every choice that's ever been made since then by every human being is what you would need to understand in order to understand how you got to this specific valley in your life. And there's only, you, I mean, you would have to be a supernatural being with comprehension beyond human ability to do that and to know that. You'd have to be omniscient, all-knowing, all-seeing. And we just so happen to know one. We call him the Good Shepherd. And he knows all those details. And he knows why and you got to this point in your life. Now, for a sheep, when they see a, uh, you know, the darkest valley coming, they wouldn't choose on their own to walk into that. Sheep are timid. They have no natural defenses. Their tendency is to run away. Uh, all, I mean, you could have almost a loud squirrel scare some sheep. I mean, they are just that easily spooked of a creature. So they would be like, yeah, dark valley, we're dangerous high. No, thank you. I ain't walking through that. I ain't choosing that path. But they go because their good shepherd is leading them there. If their good shepherd is leading them there, then they are going to go and they are going to follow. Yet so often we see this dark valley coming and we put our foot down and we say, no. All right, Lord, unless you tell me what happens to me in that dark valley, unless you tell me what happens on the other side of this valley, unless you tell me how long this valley is going to take to walk through, unless you tell me and you want to know all the details behind that dark valley, then you'd be like, okay, maybe I'll go, you know, you know, grumbly and whiny and whatever it takes, getting dragged into the dark valley. Because that's what we want to do. That's our first instinct is to say, yeah, no, I don't want that in my life. I don't want that dark valley in my life. A couple of weeks ago, I was driving my car down to Milwaukee. It was by myself, which is always a great time to do some reflective work. And I told God I did not want to go where he was calling me. Uh, my wife and I, uh, some context to that, my wife and I have uh, a sense that we're being called to church plant. Um, that's not next week, it's in a couple years, don't worry, I'm not disappearing. But we sense this call that in our future, God is calling us to go plant a church. And so we've taken some very proactive steps into leaning into that uh, calling. And so we've talked to other church planters. Uh, we've gone through an assessment center. We're doing some, some good things. And every step of the way we've taken so far, I hear this phrase, that church planting is painful. And I always thought, I don't know what to do with that. And it never really made sense to me. Um, and I, 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 don't, I don't really get what that means. But as of lately, as the path has become slightly more clear, as I'm starting to see what that really takes, what it really costs, what, it, what we're really being asked to go and do, I don't think I want that. That looks not fun to walk through. Not to mention myself, much less lead my family through that. So I was telling God, I don't want to go. But if this is where you're leading me, if this is where you're calling me, if this is where you've gone out ahead of me and are preparing a way, then I will go. 
I will follow. Because it's in that dark valley that David writes, that the psalmist writes, I will fear no evil. We are, we are not to fear the valley. We should not fear the valley. You should not fear. One of my favorite definitions of fear is by Dallas Willard. He says that fear is the anticipation of evil happening. Evil's gonna win. Something bad's gonna happen. We're gonna be overcome by evil. I just know it. I just have this feeling it's gonna take place. So as I walk through this dark valley, as danger is high, fear is saying it's gonna happen. I know it's gonna take place. So what would allow someone, what would allow a sheep to walk through that with confidence and peace? What would allow someone to walk through a situation where danger seems high and they say, it's okay, I'm gonna be okay. But only the presence of the good shepherd does that allow someone to be okay. And I don't know how high the ridges are on your valley right now. I don't know how dark it is. I don't know what valley you're walking through. I don't know how narrow the path is getting and that you can barely move. I don't know how many enemies are present, how many wolves or bandits seem to be closing in around you. I don't know how lonely you are. But I do know this, that the good shepherd is with you in that. And that you may feel alone, but I know that you are not alone. So it is in the presence of the good shepherd that we begin to understand why David points out the rod and the staff and why they bring comfort. Because they seem kind of bizarre. If you're looking for comfort, I'm like, a nice pillow, a couch, that sounds, that sounds comforting. A fireplace maybe on a cold winter night. But no, he calls out a rod and a staff. And they seem kind of bizarre items to call out. But you gotta understand, in a shepherd's profession, uh, shepherds ran around with very minimal equipment because uh, they had to be very mobile. So you only carry what you need. And so they would carry uh, a staff. They would carry a rod, uh, maybe a, a knapsack with a little bit of food or fa- first aid equipment, uh, maybe a little something for water. And really, that's it. They do not carry a whole lot of equipment with them because they have to walk everywhere they go. They have to be pretty light on their feet. And so they're only going to carry things with them that they need. That's a necessity for them to be able to do their job. So let's take a look at these two items. Why would a rod and a staff bring comfort? So the rod was a defensive tool. The rod is a defensive tool for the shepherd. Uh, Usually this thing was quite short, uh, maybe only a foot, foot and a half long. Uh, These things would be something that the shepherd themselves uh, would have made it. Uh, they kind of would have customized themselves depending on their height and build and all that kind of stuff. They would uh, be something that almost a part of them becoming a shepherd is you got to have to craft your own uh, rod. And they would uh, uh, mount iron on the top of it, give it some weight, give it some density uh, that could do some damage. This thing was quite a formidable weapon in close quarters. It could really hurt if they whack somebody or an animal in the head, and that's what that would be for. You would go after and whack 
uh, creature in the head. Yes, this is the PG version of uh, what that looks like. But that's, that's how they, w- they would carry this around with them. This is a defensive tool. But in order to use this tool, though, you'd have to get pretty close to the threat. You would have to put yourself in danger for this to be used. So when David went to Saul and he's like, yeah, I, I went after the animal, you know, the predators that took my sheep, and he's saying I whacked it in the head. That's what he's saying. He went after a bear. He went after that lion and got face to face with it to whack it in the head. I don't know about you. Last time you've been close up to a lion at a, the zoo or something, and every time I look at that, I say, I don't think that glass is thick enough. Like, I need like a solid six-inch thick piece of glass for me to feel comfortable. But yet, David has the courage and the passion to put his life on the line for that sheep. Man, what drives someone to do that? What gives someone the hunger, the passion, and the love to go put yourself on the line for that sheep? Because this sheep was precious to David. A sheep was put in David's care and charge. And he was not going to let that predator get away with it. And he was not going to let that predator know that sheep are tasty and are easy to get. And man, if you're going to come after my sheep, you're going to have to go through me. You're going to know what my rod feels like coming down on your head. And that same love and that same passion is what Christ displayed for us. That He said, I would lay down my life for my sheep. I will go after the enemy with all that I am. I put myself in the way. I'll put myself in harm's way to go after my sheep. Sometimes we need to be reminded that we are his sheep. We are his flock. So why would that rod bring comfort to a sheep? Well, because they would have seen the shepherd in action with that thing. That you can say, I'm going to walk through this valley, and even if danger comes at me, even if threats come at me, I'm going to be okay, because I've seen what my shepherd can do in action. I've seen the damage of what that rod can do, and know that almost like, bring it on. My shepherd's got me, and that brings me comfort, and that brings me confidence. For us, what does our shepherd's rod look like? What does our shepherd's rod look like? It looks like this. Ephesians 6, 17 says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Hebrews 4, 12 says, For the word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God is our good shepherd's rod. The word of God is our good shepherd's rod. As you walk through dark valleys, God's, a good shepherd's rod, our good shepherd's uh, weapon speaks truth 
amidst the lies of the enemy. Jesus says uh, in John 8, 44, he calls Satan the father of lies. That, he, that is his native tongue. That is his language. That he speaks lies and he reveals that lies are the primary attack, the primary go-to that Satan uses to come at us, to come at and attack us, to take us down. And he will send you lies two different directions. He will send you lies about God and he will send you lies about yourself to try and drive a wedge between you and our heavenly father. So you will hear lies all the time that says, man, God is not with you or God doesn't really care or God is frustrated with you. God is angry with you. God is too busy for you. God has other things to deal with. Or he will send you lies about yourself. Ha, you are hopeless. You're a mess. You're a fool. You are not going to make it. You hurt people around you. You're the joke of people around you. You are a burden on the people around you. It'd be better if you were not here. He drives, lies your direction. So then what is the word of God? What does our shepherd's rod look like in action? What does that look like to bring comfort? If you read Matthew chapter four, it really shows us a picture of that. This is after Jesus' baptism, uh, and he's been led into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights uh, by the Holy Spirit. And there's not a whole lot to eat in deserts, so he's probably physically pretty exhausted. And Satan comes with his lies, and Satan comes with his temptations. And Satan goes up to Jesus and says, if you truly are the Son of God, pointing at his identity, pointing lies about Jesus, if you truly are the Son of God, turn this stone into bread. And Jesus responds with what? It is written, the man should not live on bread alone, but on the word on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Two more times, Satan comes at Jesus with lies, with temptations. And two more times, Jesus responds, it is written. And Satan is forced to withdraw from Jesus. You want to know what our shepherd's rod looks like in comfort? What is it, how does that comfort us? It looks like that. Have you seen the shepherd's rod in action? Has, you brought it, has it brought you comfort in the valley that you are walking through? Because I'm going to be honest. Jesus is referencing passages that are in the book of Deuteronomy. And the book of Deuteronomy is a book I have a hard time remembering how to spell. Not to mention the context of which, what is in it. Man, I recognize I barely even know my shepherd's rod. We have a need to be comforted by it. So we're going to practice that right here, 
right now. Now you notice that off the, you know, off the top, I didn't do our scripture memorization verse because Pastor Joel isn't preaching and you guys thought you're going to get away with not having to do it, but you were wrong. I was saving it for this moment. Uh, if you're a guest or visitor with us, uh, we memorize scripture with every uh, teaching series that we do. And so this week you get a pass uh, you get uh, free, you get to go by, but man, if you're a regular attender here, you're on the hook. I, this is uh, week three, so I expect to hear you loud and clear as we go through uh, this verse together. So um, let's, let's read this together uh, once, and then we'll have you have a go at it. So here we go. Know that the Lord is God, you made us, and we are his, we are his people the she is fast. All right, let's crank it up a notch. Next slide, please. All right, here we go. No. Okay. A little rougher, but I know we can do this, okay? Next slide, please. Psalm 103, please. Know the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Fan. Nice. Thank you so much. Woo! So how would this verse bring you comfort, though? Have you ever been told... Man, you belong to nobody. Man, how many people are walking around isolated and driven to a place of just feeling alone? And that God has abandoned them in whatever you're sitting in. Satan says, no one's coming for you. There's no help on the horizon. This is it. And you get to say, Nuh-uh. I know something. I know that he's, he is Lord. He made me. I, I was made. I'm his people. I'm part of his flock. You got nothing on me. Who? Do you know the comfort of our shepherd's rod? So the second thing that David calls out, the second object, is a shepherd's staff. And the shepherd's staff was an instrument of comfort uh, for the sheep. The staff was used by the shepherd to give direction. He would say, hey, we're we're going this direction. We're going this way. A little bit more right. We're heading down this path. But the shepherd would also use the staff, and he would lay it at the side of sheep, to let the sheep know that he was present. Hey, I'm right here. This is where I'm at. It was an extension of the shepherd. It would allow him to connect with the sheep. And it was a tool the shepherd would use uh, to help uh, if a sheep had fallen down a hole, uh, to get the, sh- the sheep out. It would, it would just be an instrument to do that kind of, again, PG version of uh, a shepherd's staff. And so it would allow us to, it would allow the shepherd to have this special connection with the sheep, an extension of, him, of himself, to bring comfort and to give 
direction. So what does our good shepherd's staff look like? What does that look like for us? Well, where, where do we go when we need direction and we're seeking an answer? And where do we go when we need to know that the presence of our good shepherd is near and that he is at hand? And this is what Jesus taught in John 16, 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you of what is yet to come. The Holy Spirit was given to us to give us direction. The Holy Spirit was given to us to let us know the presence of our God is at hand. The Holy Spirit is our good shepherd's staff. The Holy Spirit is our good shepherd's staff. So what does the good shepherd's staff look like in action? How does that staff bring us comfort? What does the power of the Holy Spirit look like in action? To that, I would invite you to read the, well, the entire book of Acts. It was crazy what was happening there. People are coming to the faith. Uh, people are repenting and believing in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, there was miracles being performed. There were such cool things taking place, and this created a problem for the religious leaders of the day. This, this is not good. They had to put this out. They had to put this down. So they arrest one of the main instigators of this problem, of this movement. His name was Stephen, and he was filled with God's grace. So they arrested Stephen. They had to take this guy down. And they brought false witnesses against Stephen. So now Stephen is on trial in front of all these religious leaders. And his dark valley, the, sh the valley that he's walking through, the shadow of death valley, is literally his own death. So he stands and is accused and when asked to respond, he stands and he testifies about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Making the religious leaders really mad. And look at this. This is crazy. Acts uh, chapter 7 verse 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Moments later, Stephen be dragged outside and stoned to death. And as stones are being hurled at his head, people are trying to kill him. He cries out to God and he asks, that, they, that God not hold this sin against them. Stephen was comforted through that dark valley. And on the other side of that dark valley, which he was being led, he was being led through and comforted through, he walked in the paradise with his good shepherd. I'm like, are you kidding me, God? How amazing is that? Have you seen God's staff 
active and present in your life? Have you experienced what that's like when the shepherd's staff is at your side? Packing my little red car, driving on the Milwaukee, telling God, I don't want to go. I don't want to go to where you're calling me. And as I pour myself out in front of God, he begins to fill that car with the Holy Spirit. And I become overwhelmed with the presence. And it gives me a great deal of confidence. I'm not even in that valley yet. I got years ahead of me, and I'm already confident in that valley, though. And the reason I can be confident in that valley is because this comfort has come to me in every valley I've walked through. Whether it be a valley of sitting alone in a hospital room with questions, every time I've lost something dear to me, every time I've gone through a heartache, every uh, issue and pain in my life, I have found that in that valley that God was present with me and bringing comfort to me and leading me to something amazing, to a highland, to a green pasture that was full of his grace and his mercy. Yeah, I don't want to walk through those again, nor wish that upon someone. But only because of my good shepherd, knowing the way that he bring me to those places, that I could feast on his mercy and grace. And in those moments, I could ask why. Why do I have to walk through this? Sometimes he's just asking me to trust him because he knows he has something for me. He's leading me somewhere for my good. And it begins for, to really understand what Paul's talking about when he, in Romans eight twenty eight when he says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And you begin to see that every person in the Bible that God's calling, that God is drawing to himself, they walk through something dark and heavy, but at the other end of it, you see a huge highland, a green pasture that is just amazing and filled with blessings. You look at the story of Joseph. Here he is, sold by his own family into slavery. He ends up in prison, as lonely and as far away from humanity as you can get. That's dark. They didn't have a whole lot of light in prison. Literally a dark valley, dark place. Because he walked through that journey, he was able to save so many lives from a great famine, including the lives of those brothers that sold him into slavery, including the family that betrayed him. And Joseph could have blame God, why did you lead me through this? And ask why, 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 why a million times. Instead, Joseph just stayed the course and let God bring comfort to him through that dark valley. You can ask that question, whatever you're walking through, why do bad things happen? And you can search and seek out that answer. And if you sit down, you have coffee with me, and you ask Sam, why is this thing happening to me? I'm going to tell you, I don't know. And then if you want a more complicated version of an answer to that question, I'm going to tell you, I really don't know. It's, but God has something for you in that. So, it's how you respond, is my invitation to you. You can rage against it. You can look like that politician and say, we've got to bring action, we've got to bring change, we've got to do something to control these things. Or you could respond differently and make the world jealous 
that you have something to make sense of heavy things, of dark things, and they don't. And they know they don't. They know that their world is failing and they're looking for hope. And you have found that hope. So that is what allows us to walk in confidence. That's what allows us to walk through that dark valley with peace and confidence and make the people around you wonder, how can you do that? How can you have confidence right now in this moment with what you're walking through? How can you have peace in this time? Not because it's easy or that you're just tougher than everybody else, but is that you are being comforted by the good shepherd with his rod and his staff. And so when the world looks at you and wonders, how are you able to do that? You can tell them, well, you know that really famous verse that everyone seems to know? That's it. You can tell them, Psalm 23, though I walk through the darkest valleys, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Amen. So do you know the presence of the good shepherd? Do you know the comfort that his rod brings? Do you know the feeling, presence of his staff, the Holy Spirit in your life? And I don't know what dark valley you're sitting in right now, but if you've never been invited to follow the good shepherd, the one we call Jesus, today is the day that you're being invited to come and follow him and to be comforted in the valley that you're sitting in. And if you want to accept that and, and you want to learn more about that, come talk to me. But maybe you're sitting here and you've been wandering from God for a while. And it's been a, it's been, it's been a, a long time since you felt the presence of God in your life. And you've been praying for this dark valley to leave, for you to come out of it for a long, long season, and you haven't. Maybe God's not going to lead you through it tomorrow or the next day. But I do know that he is present with you. That if you're here this morning, that God is drawing himself to you. Because he desires to be with you. And he desires to comfort you. That he desires to be with you in the darkest, hardest things that you've ever gone through in your life. And he offers you comfort in that place. So my invitation to you is to, is to receive the comfort that he offers. And say, no matter how dark, how high those walls are, how small this path, how narrow this path is getting, how many enemies seem to be present in your life, that you would turn and you would praise your good shepherd, for he is present with you. you pray with me? Lord, you are our good shepherd. It is you who walk through the darkest of valleys, the one that took you to the cross, the one that caused you to shed your blood for us, the one that made the Father turn his face away the one that brought you death, 
the one that took the weight of the world. But it's through that valley that you came out the other side. It's through that valley that you brought us victory from the grave, that you have defeated sin and death. It is through that valley, Lord, that we get to praise you, that it caused you to go to the Father's side. It's through that valley that you know what it's like to walk through the things that we walk through, from the sting of loss and betrayal to being in complete loneliness. And it is you who comes and offers us comfort in that dark place. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come bring comfort to those right now in this room who need it. Holy Spirit, I ask you to continue to reveal that you are here, you are present. I pray that we would have eyes to see you and ears to hear you, that we would feel you around us, Lord. And Lord, I pray for a hunger and a thirst for your word to be planted in us, Lord. Lord, we desire to know and to see our good shepherd's rod in action. And we are amazed that you love us so much that you run in our defense, that you come to lay your life down for us. That we are precious and we are honored in your sight. So Lord, I ask that we'd be reminded of that. Lord, you are our good shepherd. And you are worthy of all our praise. Whether that be on mountaintops or in valleys. And especially in the darkest valleys, Lord. May we cry out and give you all the honor and glory and praise. 